I invite you to uh, open up your Bibles to the book of James, uh, chapter 3. We've been reading through, doing the journey through the New Testament. Those of you that are following along in our journey, we've gotten through the book of James, and so we're going to uh, pay attention to one of these chapters of James um, and hear what James has for us and maybe talk about what that means especially for our future as a church. Here we go. So James 3, beginning at verse 13, we'll go through verse 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come from, I'm sorry, let me try this again. Such wisdom does not come down from above but is earthly, unspiritual, devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I mentioned to you uh, last week that uh, for the church, the new year begins not on January 1, but before that. Not on Christmas either. You might think the birth of Christ would be the new year for the church. But actually, we back up four weeks, four Sundays before the birth of Christ, before Christmas. We back up four Sundays, and we call that Advent. And Advent is the beginning of the church year. Advent is simply a word that means preparation for the coming of Christ at Christmas. And so Advent for us is the beginning of the, the church year. So that begins in just a few weeks. And I don't know how you handle your New Year's. Um, uh, Maybe I don't want to know. But as you face the New Year, as you think about the New Year, do you you take a moment first to uh, step back and, and look over the past and say, this is what I've done in the past year, and I feel good about that. Or this is what's happened in the past year, and I kind of am ashamed I'm, I'm not where I should have been. I haven't done the things I should have done. Do you do that? Do you do, you, do, you do a, a little bit of reflection on the year as you, as you approach January 30, uh, de, uh, December 31st? Do you, do you reflect? Am I the only one? A nod of the head by one of you would be helpful to me. Thank you. Um, so we did that last week. In, in the sermon, we looked back over living words past year. And uh, if you didn't, if you didn't uh, uh, see the sermon, um, if you weren't here on Sunday, you can access it online. Lots of pictures of some of the stuff that we did over the last year. I encourage you, you just go to livingwordumc.org and select uh, media and select the sermon for last week. Um, so we, we look back over the last year and, and we did some wonderful things, some, some really cool stuff and, and great stuff as a church that we participated in. Now it's time to look ahead. Do you do that too? I mean, some of you make resolutions, right? Uh, But some of you just look ahead and say, you know, for the coming year, this is how I want it to be different. The new year is that opportunity to to maybe reformat, reboot, um, if you will. Uh, What's the future going to look like for me? 
What's this next year? It's always that opportunity to, to say, okay, I got to put that behind me so I can move forward to something maybe better, maybe more productive. So I've been praying this through, thinking and wondering, God, what do you call living word to in the coming year? And I, you know, for me personally, I think about, you know, what the new year is going to be like for me personally on December 31st at about 11. But for the church, I think I'm called to maybe put a little more time into it. And so for the last several months, I've been praying about this and wondering, Lord, Lord, what do you call us to? Who do you call us to be as a church, as a, as a gathering of your people, of your family, God? Who do you call us to be? And as I've been praying that through, um, God kept whispering in my ear, living word. I'm like, yeah, I got that. I mean, the name's on the sign out front. I got that. Living word. I'm with you. I'm, I'm on it. And it kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back. And then all of a sudden, God put a word in the middle. <laughs> Living the word. Living the word. Hence the name of the sermon series for last week and this week, living the word. What does it mean for us to be living the word of God? What might that look like to be living the word of God? How, how do we make that happen? And so I've been, I've been praying about that, trying to figure, figure it out. And, and I recognize in that, in that title, the, the word word is, um, uh, I think we got the living part figured out, but the word word um, is important to us because as followers uh, of Jesus Christ, we recognize that the word word in Christianity means scripture, right? It means the Bible. The word of God is the Bible. The word of God is that, is that message to us that God gives us in our scripture. So living the word means living out what God tells us in the scripture. Sounds easy, right? Unless you try to practice it. So I said, okay, Lord, uh, help me out here. Can you give me an example? And it's the word. In John 1.1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the example, right? Jesus is the, the perfect example of how God's Scripture, the Word, intersects with human life. Make sense? That if we're seeking to live the Word of God, we live the way of Christ. Got it. Makes sense. Can you give me more? It's <laughs> kind of how my prayer went. Can, can, can you help me out just a little bit more? How do we do that? And God led me to a scripture that uh, um, maybe you're familiar with. Uh, it's, it's from uh, Philippians 2. And, and the whole this particular scripture and the words that the scriptures that follow it are very important, but just this one verse kind of became my focus. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Living the word means having the mind of Christ, thinking the way God would think, living the way God calls us to live, following after the example of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to live the word, having the mind of Christ. 
So over the last um, year, 11 months now, uh, many of you have been doing the journey through the New Testament. You've been reading the New Testament Monday through Friday, five days a week. Maybe you've been reading the New Testament and doing the devotion. Maybe you've added to that the, the Sunday school small group class. You've been doing this, this journey through the New Testament. And as you've been on this journey through the New Testament, it's given you the opportunity to come to know what the Scripture says. But what does it mean for us? What do we do with it once we know it? Where do we go once we have that figured out? James, uh, uh, in, in this passage that I read, James tells us that, that the mind of Christ or wisdom from above, as he terms it, the mind of Christ is different from the wisdom from earthbound people, earthbound thought. Earthbound thought looks like this. Bitter envy, selfish ambition, boastfulness, false to the truth. I like that phrase, false to the truth. Sounds like fake news to me. I, I just couldn't figure out what that means. False to the truth. Fake news, I don't know. But, um, and then what it tells us is that if that is the wisdom that we use, what comes out of that is disorder and wickedness of every kind. Disorder and wickedness of every kind is the warning that if we use earthly wisdom, wickedness and disorder is the likely outcome. And when I was thinking about that, I thought about, okay, disorder. Um, have you seen my desk, God? <laughs> and, and, and it's not the disorder God's referring to. God's not referring to a, a, a disorder that is, uh, you know, the house is a little cluttered and things like that. God is talking about a disorder in your life where you feel like you're out of control. One of those biblical images that goes back to the very first verses of the Bible. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void. In other words, there was chaos and disorder. And it is God who takes the chaos of our life and gives it an order a purpose, a meaning. And when we live with wisdom that's outside of God's wisdom, we live without order and meaning and purpose in our lives. And there's that other part of wickedness. And when we live with the thinking of this world, what generally comes from us and often comes at us is wickedness. Now, we cannot change the wickedness that comes from outside of ourselves. That's going to happen because other people think with earthly wisdom instead of godly wisdom. And so, therefore, wickedness is going to happen. But how we respond to it and how we live into it is a whole lot different when we're using the mind of Christ. And so... James goes on and gives us the mind of Christ, the wisdom that's from above is pure and peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy uh, and good fruits, which means you do good work um, and, and without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And what comes from that is a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. From disorder to peace, from chaos to peace. And I believe as we cultivate the mind of Christ in our lives, this is what begins to come to us. This is, this is what happens. 
And so again, I kept thinking, how do we, uh, how do we, um, how, how do we live this out? I, I get the, I get the, the theory, Lord. Now, what's the reality part of it? How, do, what do we plug in? And so I thought, you know, I, I need to think about the coming year and how, how that might look and what, what are the components of that. And so, so I thought I needed a little 2020 vision. Go ahead, put yours on. If you don't put yours on, you're going to look like you're the silly one. Oh, you look good. So what would 2020 vision look like? What would it be, what would it be like to, to look at 2020? You can leave them on or take them off. It's entirely up to you. I personally think it's fashionable, so I'm going to leave them on. What, what would 2020 look like? What does it look like to, to, to live? And I can't actually do this without my glasses on <laughs> to see my notes. What, what, what will it look like for us as a church and then individuals who plug into that? What, what, would it, what does it look like for us as a church to, to seek to have the mind of Christ? And this is where um, I, I go to our four pillars, worship, learn, serve, and celebrate. And I want to lift up a couple of those, three of them anyway. Um, and the, the, the first is the, the learn pillar. What will it look like in the future? Because we've just spent a whole year reading through the New Testament, those of you that did. And if you didn't, I want to give you the opportunity. We're going to provide a, a reading list for next year to, to give you so you can, you can uh, look at, at what are the New Testament scriptures I could read through on my own for the coming year. Um, I think we'll be able to make the uh, devotions accessible to you if you want to do that. If you didn't do it this past year uh, with the rest of us, um, but you want to catch up, it's fantastic. It will help your, uh, your own faith life and faith growth. It will help you cultivate the mind of Christ. But we've just spent a year going through the New Testament. So what's next, Dave? Are we going to do the, New, the Old Testament next? And then let me give you a clear answer, no. <laughs> now let me, let me make it more clear because um, I, I place a great value on the Old Testament. The New Testament makes more sense when you read the Old Testament, it really does. But um, I have not written devotions for that. It would take three chapters a day, uh, seven days a week for us to go through the whole of the Old Testament in, in one year. And uh, my experience is that's just enough to get you overwhelmed. It's hard enough on a weekend to catch up to the five that you forgot to do during the week. Imagine uh, uh, having 21 in a week and getting behind. So I, we're not even going to try that. Um, uh, but... I, I, I thought that, um, you know, what would it mean to have the mind of Christ and how do we go there? Well, we take the knowledge of what we read in the New Testament and we apply it to everyday life. And so that's what we're going to try to do in, in the coming uh, year, uh, both in worship and learn. What we'll, what we'll continue to do is we will have scripture readings um, and we're going to have daily devotions and, uh, and then we're going to have um, curriculum for our, our small groups and Sunday school classes. And uh, that curriculum, we're going to change authors. Um, uh, we've been using an outside author. I really like the curriculum. Um, uh, and some of the people that are leading our small groups and Sunday school classes went, yeah, I like it. And others have gone, not so much. Um, so we're going to uh, change. Pastor Greg, he's 
already started. He's going to be writing our curriculum for us for the coming year um, uh, for the small group and Sunday school classes. You'll have the opportunity to plug into a group. And then um, the sermons will be on what you're reading uh, for the prior week, the readings and devotions that will lead you toward uh, uh, the sermon on Sunday. Now, the application part comes like this, and this is getting silly. Uh, The application part um, comes like this. the, uh, uh, we're going to take major um, themes of the Bible that intersect with your life regularly, and we're going to cover those through two, three, four, five weeks, just depending on, on which sermon series we're talking about. And so, and so the first one is one uh, coming up in January. We're going, we're going to talk about judging. Um, we, we, all, uh, we all do it, and some of us do it worse than others. And then we read scripture and we feel, oh, I'm so ashamed because the scripture, we know Jesus says, judge not lest ye be judged. And we got to say it in King James language to say, oh, that was a long time ago. Uh, but we, uh, um, somebody got it. So, so uh, we, we, uh, um, we judge. But that's not the only scripture about judgment in the Bible. As a matter of fact, there's, there's one in 1 Corinthians where, where Paul says, who am I to judge people outside the church? You judge the people in the church. Let God take care of the people outside the church. So we're called to judge. And there's places throughout the scripture where God challenges us to judge between right and wrong. And there's places where God says, judge between you and me, God says. So we're going to have to figure out how do we live judging in our life in a way that is righteous, not in the way that, let's, let's face it, we most, most of us end up living. A good thing to follow judging with would be we're going to spend four weeks on forgiveness. Doesn't that seem to be the likely follow-up? I, uh, um, I preached a sermon series on forgiveness the last past two churches I've served, and uh, honestly, I, I took a good bit of the content from Pastor Adam Hamilton, who's at a church in Kansas City. Um, uh, it's, it's a wonderful sermon series on forgiveness. It helps us look at how do I live forgiveness in my life, and how do I, how do I um, uh, seek it for myself? Uh, It's a fantastic series. I look forward to sharing it with you. I think it it, it gives us real ways to live into forgiveness. It also recognizes um, that you'll see in the end, I'll give you a a hint toward the end of it already, that um, some things that we need to forgive will take a lifetime. And we'll get there right when we breathe our last breath. Some things just take that long. And so um, uh, we'll recognize that and, and, and assume that as a part of it. So we'll do forgiveness. We're going to follow that with a sermon series on uh, people whose lives have been transformed by meeting Christ and talk about what it might be like for you to be transformed in that intersection of uh, your life with Jesus Christ. And so what, some examples would be that uh, um, uh, Levi becomes Matthew, uh, Simon becomes Peter, on the last sermon of that series, which we'll do on Confirmation Sunday, when young people come to join our church and profess Christ as their Lord and Savior in front of the whole of the congregation, we're going to talk about Saul, who becomes Paul. And these are people who meet Christ and their lives are transformed. 
We're going to follow that with a a sermon series on mission and what it means for you and and the church to be involved in changing the lives of people. Um, We once again, this Christmas Eve, we're going to have our our Christmas miracle offering, which is your opportunity to, uh, um, uh, you know, the the practice here has been just to... to, offer you this challenge. What if you thought about all the money you're going to spend on Christmas for things that people probably don't need? Would you consider giving half of that in the Christmas offering? And in so doing, we're going to make sure that people that don't have get the opportunity. The Christmas Eve offering, none of it stays here. 100% of it leaves here and goes into the lives of people that need it the most. We're going to tell you specifically where that's going over the next several weeks. Uh, We don't have the firm uh, uh, decision. Actually, it's tomorrow night we're going to make that decision on uh, uh, where that's going. Um. Uh, so we're going to talk about mission and how we're all called to be in mission in some way or another. And, and uh, actually, Pastor Brenda is so passionate about that that I've asked her to work with me to, to write the sermon series. It's really kind of an expertise and passion for her. So she and I are going to collaborate on that one. And I look forward to sharing that. Uh, later on in the year, um, just one more I'll mention. Uh, Pastor Greg is uh, going to be uh, leading a uh, sermon series in June and early July on uh, John Wesley, the founder of what we know is Methodism, John Wesley's theology. He's going to teach on John Wesley's theology, and uh, um, he's, been, he's been practicing it on the staff the last several months, and so um, he's going to take the best parts of that and put it into a sermon series. That's going to conclude with Pastor Greg leading a group of people to, um, to England to go to the, spa- the spots where John Wesley uh, did his work, uh, to Epworth and to, to um, Aldersgate and, and those other places, the the Forge is the name of one of the places that he did, uh, the Foundry, excuse me, the Foundry is one of the places that he did good work. And so um, uh, he, uh, Greg's going to lead that. And if you want to go with him, uh, let him know. He's gone today. Uh, his daughter got married yesterday, his oldest. And so um, they uh, are, have been away down in Nashville for that wedding. Uh, he'll be back on Monday tomorrow. So if you're interested in that trip, they've got an all-inclusive price. And so um, he'd, he'd like to uh, share that information with you. So that's what we're going to do. Um, uh, for the learn part of our um, of our, our four pillars of the church, and and uh, and but also for the worship part, um, as Greg has been leading the staff, uh, teaching them about uh, Wesleyan theology on alternating Thursdays. We do this on Thursday afternoons. On alternating Thursdays, I've been taking the staff through a process of, of recognizing, understanding, and living out your own personal call to ministry. I recognize that there may be some people on staff that they're not doing what they're called to do, but rather maybe that's something they do off staff time. Um, not everybody is in the job that they're called to be in, that they were created for. I don't know how many, if you think about your own self, how many of you have done a job, you've had a career that was absolutely what God created you for? The other 98% of us would say, I think I'm called to something else. But you can do both. You can live out the purpose for which God created you. And uh, so we've been going through this process so that the staff understands it. Um, and we'll roll that process out to you in the, in the coming year on, on how you can figure out where you're called to serve God in a way that you're created. Now, I believe in my heart of hearts, I believe that, uh, that if we do the thing 
or things, that if we live out the way God created us, the purpose for which God created us, if you can live that out in your life, that disorder and wickedness that tends to be a part of our life becomes order and peace. That we find that, that we're doing the thing that God created us, made us to do. Some, some people have called it to um, use the, the term sweet spot. You know, in, in golf, if you hit the ball on the sweet spot just right, that ball goes exactly where you intended it to go. If you hit it on the club on the sweet spot, um, there's a sweet spot that you have. And uh, we're going we're gonna to provide an opportunity for you to learn how to do that. Um, uh, and I've told the staff, since I've been here, I've told the staff that the staff fundamentally has one job, and that is to recruit, train, and resource people for, uh, for ministry. And um, that's not manipulation when you're doing what you're called to do. Some of you are called to do things here in the church. Others are called to do things outside the church. And, and it may be that the, the thing that you do the best the thing that you're called to the most has nothing to do with living word. And whatever way we can bless you and maybe even resource you to do that, I look forward to trying to figure that out with you. So that's the serve part. The third thing I want to uh, challenge you with is the idea of generosity. You all know that scripture. God so loved the world that he gave the default posture of God is a generous God who gives. Gives his son, Jesus Christ, gives grace into our lives, gives forgiveness when we don't earn it or deserve it. The default posture of God, the mind of Christ, is generous. There's a, there's a recognition. How many of you have done a disciple Bible study, um, either here or at another church? Quite a few of you. Um, there's something that I recognize in teaching it. Um, I, I should have asked Greg, uh, but I can't ask him today. Um, uh, there's, there's something that happens when we, uh, when we go through disciple Bible study that maybe you recognized. That you come to a point in disciple Bible study and you go, uh-oh, I'm the wealthy one that isn't necessarily in favor in the Bible. Maybe you caught that. The Bible's not real kind to wealthy people, except the ones that are righteous. If you think about the story of Zacchaeus, um, it's, a, it's a great story. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, you know. Yeah, okay. So, so um, short guy, tax collector, so he's not terribly liked, but Jesus goes to his uh, house and there's some argument about, um, uh, from theologians about what exactly transpires there, but the words are pretty simple. It is that Zacchaeus stands up and proclaims that he is a righteous man. Now, whether or not he was righteous before Jesus intersected his life or he intends to be righteous from then on, there's nothing about, okay, you've got to give up everything you have but rather use it in a righteous way. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. It's how we live it in our lives that determines, that judges whether it's right or wrong. The Bible is, is really clear on that, I think. And if the, the one man that comes to Jesus, and you've heard this story before, the one man comes to Jesus and, and he, says, uh, he says, you know, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And, and, and Jesus says, uh, um, well, what do you read in the scripture? And he tells him, and he says, yeah, yeah, that's good. And he says, well, what else? And he sa Jesus says, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. 
I believe he said it to that man because the man couldn't live his life in a faithful way otherwise. Jesus calls some of us to give it up, but not all of us, and not 100%. So I think there is a place for, uh, um, uh, for wealth. I think there, it's, it's clearly in the Bible, but I also think it's clear that we've got to be careful about what we uh, do with it. Jesus says in, in Luke 12, 48, from, whom, uh, from everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required. And from the one whom much has been entrusted, even more will be demanded. And we look at that word demand and we think that, uh, that it's a tax on abundance. Um, but if you remember the Ten Commandments and you remember that these seem like restrictive rules until you recognize God set these Ten Commandments up to protect you, to make you safe within a society not to restrain you or constrain you, but rather to, to make it so you could live together. So when Jesus says that much has been given and much is required, it's less about restrictions and more about helping you experience God's grace through your abundance. So in this next week, you're going to get a letter from me. And it's going to uh, ask you to consider um, what your contribution will be to the church in the coming year. There's a card that you'll tear off and fill that out and bring it to, to worship on Sunday. Or if you prefer, you can uh, um, uh, access it online to, to put that in there. Why do we ask you to do that? Uh, because um, we're, we're a business. We're a not-for-profit business, but we're a business like a, any other business. I had a friend uh, um, who was a, a, a boss of mine years ago who, who said, we're not-for-profit. We're not for loss either. So we've got to find that balance. And the, the way we find that balance is because you tell us what your faithfulness is going to be in the coming year, what your generosity is going to be in the coming year. I want to challenge you, um, and, and it sounds hollow until you try it, that if, if you will stretch yourself in your giving, you'll find a blessing in that. It's not that, that you give and God gives you back. It's not a one-for-one one transaction or a 10-to-one transaction. It's not a transactional thing, but rather when, when, when you live a generous life, you begin to experience the mind of Christ. I really believe that's true. You, and and you, you begin to see the disorder become orderly, and you begin to see those negative parts of your life making more sense. And you begin to see your purpose in life. And so that will come to you in the, uh, in the next week. And next uh, Sunday, we'll have the opportunity to turn those in. Um, uh, and I, I hope that you'll consider a stretch. If you're at 1% of your giving, can you make it too? That's a 100% increase, but not a lot of money. What if it, would it look like if you moved toward 10? The biblical model is 10%. It, you just can't escape that. It's interesting to note that the biblical model starts at 10%. Actually, free will offering goes over and above that. Challenge yourself with that. Wrestle with that. It's hard to get away from it if you read the scriptures. Uh, um, generosity is a part of what we're called to be. And so um, I look forward to uh, uh, that, that time with you as Nancy and I pray about it and think about it. What, what, what can we do this coming year? I look forward to you doing the same, and I pray for your households as you have that conversation. And please have that conversation in your household. As, as we come to the close of this, um, uh, there's something that, uh, 
that I've noted in, um, in, in, I believe is true for the whole of scripture, and it has to do with having the mind of Christ. If you have not come to Jesus Christ in your life, if, if you haven't made that commitment, if you haven't decided yet that the Lord is your Lord, that, that Christ is your Savior, and you're not ready to make that commitment to Jesus Christ for your life, believe me, everything we do at church is all about you. Everything is centered on you. It, 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 our goal is to help you find Christ for your life. But here's the flip. Once you decide that Christ is what my life is centered on, the mind of Christ is who I want to become, then it flips and everything is about everybody else. The twist in, in the faith life is it's all about you until it's all about everybody else. And that's that flip. And the mind of Christ is moving us from, from all about me to all about others, to being one who takes and receives to one who gives. Nancy would tell you that uh, um, one of the things that uh, um, was kind of a, a marker for my life, uh, uh, for my personality before I entered, we entered full-time ministry um, uh, was money. And uh, I, I was in the construction business in sales and doing quite well. And, um, uh, and then I felt a call of God on my life. And suddenly my whole life wasn't centered on my income and getting more. There was that flip that happened. And for me, it was easy. I wish it would be for you uh, to make that switch in your life. Uh, for the rest of us, many of us have to work on it. And so I challenge you for that for the coming year. Amen? And amen.